Welcome to Whitechapel Church Online. You're currently listening to preaching from our Sunday services. We believe that when the preaching happens, that collectively we're hearing the Word of God, and that God's Word has the power to change who we are. We also believe that God can meet you right where you're at, and that He has a Word specifically for you. We hope that you enjoy today's sermon, and we would love to have you at an in-person service. Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon, and be blessed. Good morning. You can be seated. It's good to see you today, and I'm going to see if I can become electronic. Ha. Ah. So as we begin our time together today, I want to start just by um, getting you to think a little bit about defining events. There are defining events in life that change us. There are events in the world that we all experience. I think of my grandparents, and, and they experienced in the 1930s the defining event of the Great Depression. World War One, and then of my, my parents were impacted by World War II and, and other life-changing events. And, and when I think about the life-changing events of the last few years that we have all experienced, there was 9-11 of 2001, where life changed because of the defining event of the attack on America. And most recently, we have had a worldwide de- defining event with the virus, coronavirus, and and it changed life. And just two weeks ago, we had a defining event. Didn't impact the world. In fact, it was a very small number of people that it impacted, but it impacted us, right? Hurricane Ian, and we're still, many of us are still living in the effects of that defining event. There are defining events that change life and the way that we see life, the way that we live life, and the way that we experience life. And when you look in the scripture, the defining events are very obvious, right? You have creation. You have the scripture. I could never go through all of them, but then you have uh, Moses coming as the deliverer to, to deliver the Egyptian people out of slavery and God parting the Red Sea, a defining event for God's people as they received the land that God had promised to them. And then we have, of course, the events that we celebrate often, the defining event of God sending his one son, his only son, as a baby in a manger. And the life of Jesus Christ, as it's recorded in the scripture, and all the defining events that took place, culminating in, in his crucifixion, but then his resurrection, and then his ascension. These are defining events that impact us. And today, I want to talk about a defining event. In fact, this defining event is one that is probably not given the weight that it should be given. I'm going to say it's overlooked to some degree. And today, I want to focus on it. And so Pastor Michael has been speaking in the book of Acts, and and the theme of this is rooted together. And as we look at the defining events in Acts, we find that that is what roots us together. When you think of the defining events in your own life that are unique to who you are, 
You see how they impacted your life and changed your life. I think one of the greatest defining events that anyone could experience is the the birth of a child, right? I mean, that is defining because life changes. It changes drastically because now your world is not just what you want, but it's focused on a little one, the birth of a child. In the last couple of weeks, we've got to relive that just a little bit with a Jordan and Brooke, as they're staying with us right now after their home was damaged by the hurricane, and, and uh, in fact, Jordan asked me this morning, he said, did you hear, did you hear Jones crying? I was like, nope, one of the blessings of getting older is your hearing goes, so <laughs> I didn't hear, plus they're upstairs, I said, nope, I didn't hear. Uh, it hasn't really changed my life, except I get to hold them a lot more often and see them, but it's a defining event, and so the defining event, you had Jesus Christ who came and he walked this earth, he gave his life. And then he ascended. In Acts chapter 1, as we talked about, he said that I must go that one can come that's greater. And then he gave us the great commandment, the great com- commission to go into all the earth and to share the gospel. Go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Share the gospel. And then in Acts 2, it all culminates with the birth of the church. The church is born, and life would never be the same because God had birthed his bride. I find it interesting that I would have thought if if I was planning this out, and of course, it's a good thing I'm not, that I would have sent my son and had him establish his church. But isn't it interesting that he sent Jesus to become the lamb of God so that the church could be born. And the church could only be birthed if Jesus fulfilled his role and then said those words, I must leave so that one greater than I can come. And that was the Holy Spirit. And so we see in Acts chapter 2 this morning, we will see the birth of the church. We will see in Acts chapter 2 this morning the events that took place that differentiates the church from any other organization. And also we will see the the characteristics that we must have if we are going to truly be God's church and not just a religious organization. You know there's a difference, right? There's a big difference. And so I'm just going to read this morning. Uh, We'll have the scripture up here for you, starting in Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Now, Pastor Michael spoke on that last week. I'm going to stop right there real quick just as a review. And he said that we had to wait. So when Jesus left, it was, there were 10 days from the time that Jesus ascended and gave the command to the followers, go to Jerusalem and wait. So there were 10 days that took place. And I've got to tell you that this week I have been made aware of how impatient I really am. And how much I don't like waiting. And so it's been a good discipline for me. I was on the computer and, and the page wasn't loading fast enough. And I gave, it gave me an option. It said, do you want to wait or do you want to exit? So I don't have time to wait. I'll exit. And then I reentered. Got the same message. And then I remembered the message. Oh, just wait. And I have only one request for those of you who have driver's license. I only ask that you just go the speed limit. I don't need you to exceed it, but just go the speed limit. I don't like waiting behind people who are just too relaxed. I've got places to be, things to do. Do the speed limit or move over, you know. So that's just one of my little pet peeves, so forgive me for sharing that. But, you know, it's good advice. And so here we we have this moment where... 
the Holy Spirit is going to be sent. And so the believers had waited the 10 days, and so here we go in chapter 2, and this is what we're going to focus on today. And suddenly, and I find it so interesting, I can't even get through this scripture. Suddenly, I'm like, no, it was 10 days. But the moment when God moves, you know it. And it's suddenly. And so there were 10 days, but when suddenly, when God moved, there was no doubt. There was no um, misunderstanding or misinterpretation. What they had been waiting for had come. And there was no doubt. And so suddenly, the scripture says, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one set upon each of them. And there they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Verse 5, and there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speaking in their own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not those who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one in our own language in which we were born? And so we see in this moment, I want you to get this, this is the birth of God's church. This is the moment where God is starting that which will go till the day that he returns for his bride. The church is known as the bride of Christ, and he will come to gather to him all of those who are part of his church. And so as we look at the scriptures today, and, and as we think on these, these eight verses, I want you to first see this, that they were one people, one church, one mission, and it hasn't changed today. They were one people waiting for the Holy Spirit to fall upon them. They were given a mission from Jesus himself to go into all the world and to baptize and to teach about who he was and what he was. One mission. One people, one church, one mission. When the day of Pentecost came and they were there together, it had fully come, fully come, and they were in one accord. You know, when God's people are in one accord, it's not because we all think alike, we all dress alike, we all act alike, we're all of the same age. When we're in one accord, it is because of the Holy Spirit of God that has come and has brought us to unity to become one people, one church, with one mission. And when I say church, that's a capital C, God's church throughout the world, not just Whitechapel. We're a church. It's exciting to know that we'll get together with other churches in our community here and practice being one people, one church, one mission. We're not in competition with one another. In fact, we're there to encourage each other on. And so one of the characteristics that we must have is that we have to be unified, and we can't be unified outside of the Spirit of God. It's absolutely impossible because we're just too different. We're just too different. Otherwise, we would all be wearing the same color shirt today. You know, we, we, we're just different. One people, 
One church, one mission. And so we see that in the scripture. When, when the day of Pentecost came, they were in one accord, one people, and they were able in that moment to receive that which God had, them, had for them, which then birthed the church. If we want to be the church, then what has to be birthed in each of us is the Holy Spirit alive and well and active in our life. And so we go through the scripture and we see what God had done there when he sent his, his um, Holy Spirit and they became one people, one church. I, I, I came across this, Pastor Mark. I like your diagram. It's much prettier. But when I saw this, I thought, oh, if we could break it down, there's one tree rooted together, but amongst that is all of us. And look what happens when, when our roots entangle with one another. We're stronger. You'll see the effects of the hurricane that those trees that were standing alone were affected more. But when you see a group of trees and a forest of trees, because they were intertwined, most of them withstood damage. One mission, one church, one people rooted together because of the, of the Holy Spirit that gathers and binds us together. And then we see in, in uh, verses 2 and 6, that when the Spirit of God moves, people gather. And so, verse 2, it says, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And in verse 6, And when this sound occurred, the multitudes come, came together. Do you know that God could have quietly, as he did with his son Jesus, brought the Holy Spirit? Isn't it interesting, the, the, the differences when he sent his son and he announced it to the shepherds through the angels. But it was a quiet birth. In a lowly manger, Jesus comes. When God announces his Holy Spirit, he does it with great magnitude. Now you have to remember that all the people had come together and they're in Jerusalem. And it's, it's the festival of the feast. And, and, and they're celebrating the feast and, and celebrating the Passover. So remembering back when the Egyptians were delivered from slavery and the last plague was, was the firstborn of every household would be killed unless they had put the blood of the lamb up on the door on both sides and on the top. And where that blood was, the, the angel of death passed over. And so they, come, they would come together annually and they would celebrate the defining event of God's restoration to his people. And so all of these people were gathered and all of a sudden, they hear something, they see something, and they ran to it, right? That's what we do. I remember um, very, very vividly when we had first gone into ministry and we're in the first church that God had put us in, in, in Sneeds Ferry, North Carolina. You guys have all been there, right? It's close to Wilmington, and it's just a little, it's just a little fishing village, and, and it was Sunday in the first year that we were, we were there, and, and I was speaking, and, and you know, in small towns, we had a voluntary fire department and voluntary EMS, um, and from time to time, I would hear the siren go off and, and um, wonder what was going on, because it's a small community. We're sitting in church one Sunday morning, and the siren went off, and don't you know that three-quarters of the people in church got up and left? And I thought, they certainly all can't be volunteers. They were rushing to go see what had happened. It's like, oh my. 
But that's our human nature, isn't it? That, that when we see and hear something, we gather it. And so when God was birthing his church, he did it with great proclamation because his church could only be birthed through the gift of the Holy Spirit. And when he sent the Holy Spirit, it came like a, a loud rushing wind. And then they saw tongues that looked like fire that fell. I love our sanctuary here. One of the things I love about our sanctuary are the stained glass windows. And this stained glass window, uh, the second one from the front on your right, is uh, a depiction of, of the coming of the Holy Spirit. And when I first saw that, I was like, is that what that is? And then I counted, and I said, yep, that's, that's what it is. There's, there's 11, I think. Regardless, that's what it is. And you can see in that the, the dove, which represents the Holy Spirit coming down. And then you get all these little orange-reddish pieces of glass, which represent the fire or represent the, what, looked to be, what appeared to be tongues. And do you see that upon each person, each head, there's a tongue, a red fire? Because the scripture said a tongue fell upon each one of them. It's in the details sometimes that we, we see the magnificence of our Savior. And on that day, the Holy Spirit came, and it fell upon the people who were there, all 120 of them. And in that moment, people gathered to see what was going on. Let me tell you something. When the Holy Spirit is in this place, people will come just to see what's going on. I don't care how good your music is. I don't care how bad the preaching is. I'm speaking to myself, not you, Pastor. It doesn't matter. When the Holy Spirit comes, people will gather, and I've been saying this for a few years, because nothing competes with the presence of God. Nothing competes with it. You can, in your own vanity, try to, to do something that would impress people, but let me tell you something. Nothing competes with the presence of God. And in the presence of God, I become less so that he can become more. to be a place of grace, to be a people of God, to be a people, one people, when one mission, one church requires all of us to open up our hearts and minds to wait and pray for the Holy Spirit in our life. Do you know that the Holy Spirit was not just a one-time event that was given to the 120, but the Holy Spirit is given to each and every one of us? That's a defining event in the history of mankind changes the way that we live. We don't have to depend upon what we know and understand. We can ask God. Get ahead of myself a little bit. I'm going to talk about tongues a little bit. I, I'm going to do this quickly because there's so much confusion. And if you want to know more about it, I can send you a document. Just put it on your Connect card. But on this day, the tongues was speaking in another language. On other days, you'll see in the scripture, there's a tongue of prophecy, and then there's a tongue of a prayer language, and that's all I'm going to say about that. How's that? But the, but the, but the, the message here is that, that when the day of Pentecost came, they all began to speak in a language that someone understood. There were over a dozen dialects represented in that place that day, and they could only hear about the good news of what Jesus Christ had done just days after they had, they had crucified him. It's still very fresh. They could only hear about 
the salvation and the plan of God if someone told them. But they could only hear if it was spoken in a language that they understand. And so if we're going to be the church, we have to speak in a language that other people understand. So the church is birthed. When you say, well, we all kind of speak the same language, that's kind of a dumb point. Well, let me tell you something. That's not true. We may speak the same English language, but what about the language that we hear from, our heart's language? There's the book, you know, the, the love language, seven love languages. When I'm another North Carolina event, North Carolina was very impactful in my life. First of all, because I'd just gone into ministry, and second, because I was removed from the culture here in Daytona that I had only been in Florida and, and knew this culture, and I was in another culture. And I began to learn that they spoke in different languages, and they thought differently, and things meant different things. I'll never forget the day when I, I was in the office, and, and uh, my secretary, she, she came in, and she said, Pastor, will you run out uh, and, and get a big box out of my boot? I said, do what? She goes, go get a box out of my boot. I said, I don't know what you're talking. She goes, you know the boot. I said, I don't know what you're talking about. You wear boots. She goes, no, the boot of my car. I was like, oh. And, of course, that's, you know, old English. I'm not very, you know, the king's language is not necessarily my strength. But I'm like, I don't understand that. But then it, it really came to uh, uh, understanding when I'm coming out of church one Sunday, and I'll never forget her name was Donna. And Donna came up to me, and she said, Pastor Gary, we had 10 head of youngins, and every one of them was eel. I said, what? We had 10 heads of youngins, and every one of them was eel. Oh, there were 10 children in church. That's a head. And every one of them was acting up. That's being eel. And it was just like, oh, my goodness. They have a different language. And they had a different culture. I remember we had a fisherman Sunday. Good thing to have in the fishing community, right? We invited all the fishermen in. And, man, I was amazed at how many of them came. And we said, we're going to have a fish fry. And in one of the fish houses, they, they donated the fish. And we had a big fish fry at the end of the service. And so during the service, I invited all the fishermen up and just to recognize them. And then I thought what would be great is to, is to recognize two or three of them. And so I'll do that by recognizing the fishermen who caught the most shrimp that week. It was shrimp season. And so they're all up there. And I actually, when I was there to speak their language, and because I love fishing, actually got a commercial fishing license. And on a very small scale, would go shrimping. And, and I had a pretty decent week for me. I'd got like 25, 30 pounds of shrimp. So I start off. I said, who here got 500 pounds of shrimp? Stone face. 400 300, 200, one, nobody spoke. And I said, listen, I got 30 pounds. Some of you surely, I didn't know their language. You know a code of a fisherman? You don't ever tell anybody how much shrimp you catch or how much fish you catch because they'll be following you out the docks to see where you're going. I didn't know their culture. I didn't know their language. And it was only when I spent enough time getting to know them and spending time in the fish houses and going out and them seeing me with my Sneeds Fairy sneakers, that's what we called them, these white boots, as we were called Sneeds Fairy sneakers, that they begin to say, hmm. Now, I never was one of them, but I believe I earned enough trust 
that I was able to speak their language when it came to sharing Jesus Christ with them. Church, our call is not to, to just be a sermon and speak elegant words, but you've heard the saying, preach sermons often, and if necessary, use words. You see, it's really, how do we speak the language of those people around us? I think we're often so isolated and withdrawn within our own circles, and they're good circles, they're nice, but we just can't live in those places. And so when you see the characteristics that God placed upon the church, they're one, one people. They were all together in one accord. They all had the Holy Spirit in their life, and they all were on mission, and they were speaking a language that someone else would understand. And they were all different languages, literally. But isn't it that way in our life? You've heard the saying that birds of a feather flock together. Well, for good reason, because we can relate more to one another than we can others. And so it's understanding that, that I need to speak a language and, if necessary, use words because, as I already put the screen up there earlier, love is the universal language. When the disciples were being sent out in pairs, I would put it, summarize it in, in how I would understand it and see it. One of the disciples said, hey, Jesus, we need, a, we need a uniform and a badge so they'll know who we are. Something along those lines makes sense. You're sending us out. Well, they need to know that we're your disciples. And there's, no, there's nothing to tell them that we're your disciples. To which Jesus replied, they will know you are my disciples because of your love. That's how. That's how they'll know your disciples. Amen. And so when we look at, at the first eight verses of this of this scripture this morning, we see the birth of the church. We see the church um, taking on the characteristics. And then we see that church take fruition. You remember that Jesus said to Peter, Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church. It's interesting that in Acts chapter 2, that Peter preaches the sermon where Thousands were saved. And at the very end of this text, and there's a lot of teaching in there, which I'm sure Pastor Michael will probably focus on, it says in verse 42, they devoted themselves to these things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe. Why? Because they were, they were possessing the Holy Spirit in their life. And the scripture says the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You see, that's the church that we're called to be. But we cannot be the church. We cannot be God's people if we ourselves do not carry the presence of God. We've sang all morning about the presence of God. And you hear that over and over and over in this place. Because if there's anything that would be emphasis, emphasized, it would be that we need the presence of God. I have, I have witnessed people who came into this place and they went, oh, wow. I feel the presence of God here. And it wasn't even a Sunday. The presence of God dwells in this place. But do you know that we can, we can come here and we can experience that presence, but we don't have to leave it here? We can take it with us. We don't even have to find it here. It's found in the Holy Spirit and, and, and speaking uh, to him and spending time with him, being devoted to the fellowship, being devoted to the teachings Becoming the person that we're called to be. And so here's where I really, I did all that to say this. Too many, 
and one's too many. People never move from simply believing in God to being a disciple of God. Just an observation. Too many people never want to move from just believing in God. And so I've put here a definition of a believer. One who believes and accepts Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. You see James 2.19. If you believe that there is a God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So just believing there's a God doesn't put you in, in his place, in his, in his eternal um, place in heaven. It doesn't make you a Christian. But what does make us a Christian in Romans 10, 19, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so you may be here this morning and you have never proclaimed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You've never asked him to come into your life. You've never asked him to forgive you of your sins. The scripture says that all we have to do is believe, declare, and receive. And this could be the day for you. I think many of you have most of you in this room today have, have made that decision. You're a believer. You've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. But I want to push you, if you haven't moved from being just a believer to being a disciple of Christ, because there's a big difference. You see, those who gathered, the 120 that gathered believed, and there were many, many, many more that believed that weren't in that room. But they were followers. They chose they chose to go and wait. Ten days, probably had they known how long it was, was going to be, they would have shown up on the 10th day, right? But they chose to follow Christ, and that's really, when you get to it, is what a, a, a believer is. Now, understand this, I mean, a disciple is. You can't be a disciple without first being a believer. But the progression of becoming a disciple starts with believing in Christ and then walking in that which Christ shows you. And so one who believes and accepts Jesus as Christ as their personal Savior and then follows him. And not just when it's convenient. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 16, 24, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. You see, that's where it moves from being a believer to being a disciple. And if there's anything that plagues the church God's church today, it is that there are way too many people who just simply believe and not enough people who are discipled and following Christ, giving their life to Christ fully. Because when that happens, you see a day of Pentecost. And they're speaking in languages that other people understand. There's unity. There's all the characteristics that come around the presence of God that changed the world. So my challenge for you today is, is here. And it might be a little small, but believer or believer and disciple? And that's a question. I think it's a question that we all should answer. And as I was thinking about it, I thought, you know, I would probably answer it one way. I wonder how you would answer that question for me. I'm not asking you to. I don't want to put you in that position. But sometimes I don't know that it's, it's harmful for us to, to, to maybe even get an outside opinion. Is What do you see when you see me? Do you see someone who just believes or someone who who follows Christ. And so here's some differentials. A believers look to the cross, disciples pick up the cross. And remember, believing in Christ, it says, and you will be saved. But you know, 
When you begin following Christ, eternity doesn't start, and heaven doesn't start on, at, at the end of this world. It starts now. So when Jesus said in John 10, 10, I've come that you may have life and have it in abundance, the abundant life comes through following Christ. It doesn't mean the abundance of this world. It means the abundance of the Spirit of God in your life and a satisfaction and contentment with that over anything else. And so we see a believer that, that would look to the cross and a disciple will pick up the cross. We see believers obey God if convenient. Disciples obey no matter the circumstances. Big difference. And you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think that any one person overnight could accomplish these things, but I think as we're on the road and seeking to follow Christ, that, that little by little, each of these things becomes a characteristic of our life. But our heart's mind is to obey no matter what the circumstance as a disciple. I like this one. Actually, I don't like it, but it's true. A believer decides once. A disciple decides daily. Well, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. So I'm good to go. Oh boy, every day to say, I choose to follow you. What is it that you have for me today? Are you a believer or, or a disciple? Believers focus on eternal life. A disciple on eternal rewards. We celebrated Pastor Gatton's homegoing. And while we yearn and, and, and we experience the, the pain of loss, we celebrate the gain. And I made this statement, and I believe it's true, that if God gives us a mansion, Brother Gatton got a whole subdivision. Because, man, was he a follower of Christ. He followed Christ. In fact, one of the things I, I didn't share Friday that came, came later, Linda, and you remember, you were there. I think you remember. Um, but it was probably two years ago. I was talking with Brother Gatton, and he said to me, he says, you know what? And he'd always say this first. He says, I'm so proud of you, which just makes your day, right? If Brother Gatton's proud of you, you know, that's pretty good. That's like Jesus himself telling you he's proud of you. And so he said, you know, I've decided that I'm going to, I'm going to look for a church and pastor again. Do you remember that? And I was like, that's awesome. Now, obviously, he wasn't at a place he could do that, but you know what it showed? It showed his heart. He's someone who wanted to follow God. He wasn't content with just living life. And while his physical restrictions didn't allow him to do certain things, his heart and his mind still wanted to do and follow the one he'd given his life to. Believers focus on eternal life, a disciple on eternal rewards. And you know, the scripture tells us that store up treasures in heaven. The first will be last, and the last will be first. All of these things that are counterculture, but speak to eternal rewards. You can have your reward here, or you can set your rewards in heaven. I'll take, I'll take heaven. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I enjoy the blessings of God as much as anyone. And so I'm not talking that we have to, to take a vow of poverty. I'm talking about we take a vow of following Christ and knowing that his scripture tells us that he will bless us for our obedience. And so there are still blessings in life, but I'm more concerned about eternal. A believer prays when things are difficult. And it should say a disciple is always praying. A, a believer prays when, when things are difficult and, and, and we need God's help, but a disciple is always you know, praying without ceasing. It's, it's daily praying and seeking the heart and mind of God. And then the last one here, a believer twists the scripture to fit their lifestyle. 
A disciple shapes their lifestyle around the scripture. I had, I had someone a few years ago, younger, younger generation, and they said to me, don't you think that the scripture is out of touch with today? I said, no. But it's, but it's acceptable to do these certain things today. And the scripture I said, no. You see, it was, it was an attempt of a believer saying, but the scripture kind of gets in the way that I want to live my life. I believe, but I don't want to sacrifice. I don't want to pick up the cross and follow him daily. You see, those are the differences. And so really, as we look at this historical event, as we look at the birth of God's church, life would never be the same, a defining event. How does that affect the way that we live today? I really believe it's saying, I want to be the one, one of the ones that's in the upper room, waiting, seeking, wanting the Holy Spirit. I want to be a follower of Christ and not just a believer of Christ. And so my encouragement to you today is regardless of where you are, and, and, and maybe on this list up here, you know, it's just a list and you could add to it, you could take away. It's just an attempt to, to show the differences of, of where we sometimes accept less than what God has for us because we want to do it our way. I have learned this, that, the, that when I gave up all of my hopes and dreams many years ago, when the Lord called me into full-time ministry, I had my own business. It was doing well. We owned a home. We were part of this church, and it was thriving, and, and it was very hard to do what we did. And now, 30-plus years later, I sit here, and I was like, oh, my goodness. The blessings, what I thought I was giving up, God, as the scripture says, sevenfold. He's returned to me. You, you will not give up anything that God will not bless you back for it. And the things that you think you want that he doesn't give you back, you won't even care because they don't matter. Because they really didn't matter to start with. And so my encouragement today, as we um, want to invite the worship team to come back up. So my encouragement to you today is if you're not a believer, to take that step. We always invite you to come to these altars and, and, to, and to pray if you'd like to. And someone would pray for you, pray with you if you would like that, to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. And maybe you find yourself stuck and not able to follow Christ the way that you want because of things that have gotten in your way, and, and the Lord has shown you that this morning, and, and you want to address that. Moving from just a believer to a disciple, strengthening yourself as a follower of Christ, as the heart and mind is, is to follow Christ, but then asking the Lord, what is it that you want to say to me today? Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you and that you'll continue to join us as we lean into God's word together. Until next time, have a great week and be blessed.